Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. The Lord's been teaching me this week, and uh, I pray that as we go through Nehemiah together, that uh, he speaks through his word and uh, uses me as however he chooses today. How many in here are homeowners? Just, just out of curiosity. Hope, if you're not a homeowner, maybe you're hoping to be. I remember when I was younger, you know, we, we did the whole rental thing, and then you're always hoping, like, Man, I can't wait to own my own home. And I always kind of thought that, you know, that was kind of like the pinnacle of adulthood. That if I could just own my own home, that, that was it, right? Like, I, I had arrived as an adult. And then what happens is, is we got our first house. And I realized that that wasn't it. Because if, if you have a house, what you realize is that you are constantly doing projects, right? Uh, I, well, I'm always doing projects, usually because I forgot to finish the other ones. I'm really good at those first few phases, but I forget to kind of finish them. But so I'm always doing projects, and so our, our work is never done if you're a homeowner. And we see in Nehemiah today that, that our work is never done as Christians either. And as our work is never done, the opposition that we face is always coming against us. And so we, we've seen that all through Nehemiah so far. We've seen Nehemiah handle opposition. And then we, we, uh, as he's working on the wall, as he's leading the people to, to work on the wall together, they face opposition. And you would think that if you face opposition enough, that it's just eventually it's going to stop, right? Like you've persevered enough and it's just going to go away. But we see through Nehemiah and we see through our own lives that, that persecution doesn't just stop. But people are going to oppose us if we stand firm on the word of God. And so Nehemiah, again, faces opposition. And we're going to see that in Nehemiah 6 today. Before I continue to uh, proceed and, and read God's word, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that, um, that we get to be here, gathered together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would speak mightily through your word. Lord, I pray that as those that are here that are Christians, that are brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you'll encourage us. I pray that you'll speak to us. You'll charge us today to, to leave this place uh, different than what we came in that we'll be more on fire, more bold for your word, and more bold to share your gospel. Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray right now that you, that you will work on their hearts, that you will, you will work on their hearts and you'll give them eyes to see who you are and who they are. I pray that uh, if someone here does not know you, that today will be the day that they will see you as the beautiful Savior that you are, and it will lead to repentance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to actually, uh, hopefully, cover the entire chapter uh, 6 today, and um, we'll continue on and see how, see that we're going to continue to see the progress that Nehemiah and the people are making on the wall. We're going to start reading in chapter 6 in verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates... Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Hecaphirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So we get to see a few things here. We see 
some characters returning to the story that we've seen multiple times. Sanballat has, has been in, in our pages of scripture in Nehemiah multiple times, and he's always there to oppose the work of Nehemiah. Even from the very beginning, he has opposed the work constantly, and, and, his, and his good buddy Tobiah the same way. We also see here that the wall is, is nearing completion. The wall itself has now been fixed. All of the holes have been fixed. There's no more breaches in the wall. The only thing left is to do is that they need to finish the gates. They need to put the gates up, install the gates. Nehemiah needs to be a better uh, finisher at his projects than Adam is, because then the gates would just lay there and he'd go on to their project. But we're going to see how Nehemiah handles that. So the wall, the wall is doing great. It's, it's been repaired. It's been patched. And at this point, you would kind of think that the guys who are opposing the wall would say, hey, guys, we've opposed the wall from the beginning, and it's just not working. It's, it's just not working to oppose the wall. Let's, let's just quit. Let's just, I mean, why, why oppose them now? It's almost done. But we see that doesn't happen. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they come along, and they see that the wall is almost done. And instead of saying, hey, it's not worth it, they say, well, we need to ramp it up. We need to oppose even more. We need to oppose even harder. We need to push and try to get this wall to be stopped. We don't want this wall to be built. They want to oppose the work that God is doing in, in doing through Nehemiah and the people. Now, now, who are these characters? It's very interesting to me that Nehemiah, right off the bat, in the first verse in chapter 6, calls them enemies. Nehemiah is not confused about who these people are. He's not confused at all that these, that these could be friends, these could be future friends of his, or these people who, who he could be, uh, have a good relationship. He knows right away who they are. He knows what their intentions are. He's already dealt with them multiple times. He knows that they are enemies. Sanballat was the governor of Samaria. Tobiah was a uh, member of a leading aristocratic family. His marriage also was strengthened. He married one of the noble's daughters. Uh, we don't know much about Geshem, but we know that these people wanted to stop the wall. We have reason to believe that their financial interests, their economic opportunities were going to be stopped if this wall was to, to, to be completed. This was a threat to their power. This is a threat to their wealth. These, these were very powerful men. These were very wealthy men. These were, these were men that were maybe on the in crowd as far as the world concerns. And when you think about that, there's, there's a tendency there to say, well, I want, I, want these, I want these men to like me. I want these men to be on board with the work that I'm doing. They're, they're powerful people. If I could get them, if I could convince them that the work I'm doing is good, then, then maybe they could help my, my progress. So we see Nehemiah, he, he thinks through these things, and Nehemiah uses good discernment. He uses the wisdom that God has given him. He uses the scriptures that he knows, and he uses all those things to think through these things as he makes decisions. So how does Nehemiah just respond? Well, he uses good discernment. He's able to see that this meeting that's proposed to him, that this meeting is being proposed outside of the city. Hey, you need to leave the city, leave the work, and come meet with us, you know, in a plane of Ono. That's kind of a foretelling there, Ono, oh you know, of what, what could possibly happen there if Nehemiah were to go. But uh, Nehemiah thinks about that, and he, and, and he sees that, that these people are not wanting a, a meeting that was profitable. This meeting was not going to be a profitable meeting. Uh, we can see that he says that they, they mean to do him harm. These were enemies of Nehemiah. These people wanted Nehemiah to fall. They wanted him to fail. They wanted the work to stop. 
Now, I have to think about what if, what if, what if Nehemiah, like, like all Christians, what, what if he heard this invitation and he said, well, yeah, I, I do want to go to the invitation. Because what if I can convince them to be on my side? What if I can, maybe I can give them my ear. I'm going to leave the work, leave the people. What if I give them my ear? Maybe there's going to be some positives that I can add to this equation. Maybe, maybe those, those are some things that could happen. I mean, these are, these are people in the in crowd. They have a voice. They have, the people are going to listen to them. And Nehemiah doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't think, okay, what positives could come out of this? He knows right away. His discernment, the Holy Spirit is leading and saying, no, don't go. He knows there's going to be, uh, he knows there's going to be trouble. He knows that they do him harm. And what the danger is that is if Nehemiah went, yes, they could have physically done him harm. They could have kidnapped him. They could have beat him. They could have threatened him. They could have killed him. All those things are realities that could have happened to him. But also all the people would have saw him leave. All the people would have saw him take the tools that he has in his hand, the tools, he has tools and he also has weapons. They would have saw him take them, drop them, say, okay, you guys work, I'm, I'm leaving. Could have been, it would have been detrimental to the cause. It would have been detrimental to the work. People would have said, no, wait a minute. You've been saying we need to work, but now you're going to stop. This is confusing to us as people who are, who are being led by you. What if it was worse than that? What if Nehemiah went and, and met with Sam Bout and Tobiah and Geshem? Maybe these were smooth talkers. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they were smooth talkers. What if they were able to convince Nehemiah that the work was not valuable, that the work was not good? What if they were able to convince Nehemiah to forsake God's teaching and, and obedience to God and to, and to do what they were doing? Maybe there was some money involved and some greed took up there. See, we have to be careful about who we give our ear to. We have to be careful about who is speaking into our lives. And, and there's so many times as, as, as we as Christians, as we're, as we're navigating this earth and as we're walking uh, and we're trying to follow obedience to God, there are so many voices trying to get our attention. We have to be very careful about who we allow to actually get our attention. It doesn't mean we just flat out ignore everybody. Now, Nehemiah already knew these people. He knew the dealings with them. He's listened to their cause before, and he already knows. His mind is made up. These are enemies. These are enemies of mine. They're enemies of God. So we need to know about who is speaking in our lives and who is talking to us and who, who are we letting us feed information. Is it good? Is it righteous? Is it God-glorifying? We have to ask those questions as we, as we walk through the world and as we're, as we're led this way and that. We want to be led towards righteousness. We want to led, be led towards things that is glorifying to God and not, that, that's not going to lead us to ourselves. So Nehemiah does not go. Matter of fact, he sends a messenger and he says, the messenger's note says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? It's interesting that he thought this was going to do him harm, but he's willing to still send a messenger to take that note away. But uh, that probably wouldn't have been a job that he would have wanted to volunteer for. So he's, Nehemiah says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah realizes the importance of the task that he's been given. He, he also realizes the importance of his leadership. And most importantly, he fears God more than he fears men. What's interesting about this, this, when I was thinking through this and I was reading about this, if you look at the task that Nehemiah has, he's rebuilding a wall in a city that has basically no value. There's no political value to the city. 
Uh, if you look at this dirty, dingy wall, there's not even people, many people living there. The world would say that his former job as a cupbearer to the king was a great job. A great, it would have great value. Rebuilding this wall, just putting stones together and throwing stones on there and, and making this wall, the world would say it has no value. I think that's very interesting. The, the cupbearer, he would, have, he would have had the ear to the king. The king would have been able to listen to him. He would have, he would have lived well. He would have, he would have had a, a place to sleep, a place to lay his head. He may have had some, uh, some say in who was hired there, and, and it was in the area of which he was there. He would have had uh, taken care of with, with a little food and drink. Now, the food and drink may have been questionable if it was poisoned. But, you know, anyway, he probably would have ate well. He would have, had, he would have been taken care of. He would have had a position of, of importance in the kingdom. It, it was a courageous position. It would be courageous to take up a glass of wine and say, well, there could be poison in here, but I'm going to test it for you. That's, that takes courage to do that. Nehemiah was a man of courage. So the world would have said that was a great that was a great job. That was a great task that he was doing. But Nehemiah saw it differently. Nehemiah saw the work that God sent him to do in following God's commands as a great task. And we need to remember that in our lives because I think there's so many times we can fall in the trap of that, of thinking, okay, these, these things that I'm doing, they seem, they seem small, they seem minuscule. Okay, I'm, just, I'm just training up these kids in the ways of the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm doing these things. I'm just doing my job, and I'm doing it to the best of my abilities, and I'm, I'm trying to glorify God in all that I do. And it, it's a job that no one even notices I'm doing. But it's a great task. God sees it as a great task because it's not a task that's for you. It's a task that's for God. And you're being obedient to the things that God has given you. And that is a good thing. That is a great thing. Great work is defined by obedience to God and not by the world. We don't let the world define what a great task is. We don't let the world define what greatness is. We want to obey God. We want to obey the things that he's commanded us to do. He has given us this, this, this word that has teaches us and told us how to live our lives. There's commands in here for men, for women, for children, for students, for employees. We need to follow these commands. We need to obey God, the things that he's, he's given us. In this uh, short little section, we see that obedience to God brings opposition. If you're, if you're walking towards obedience to God, and all of us that are, that are saved, all of us that have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ, all of us should be walking in obedience to Christ. As you do that, opposition will come. Opposition is going to come because the word of God is going to stand contrary to the ways of the world. And opposition is going to come. We need to be careful who we're giving our ear to. Not every crowd, not every organization, not every, little, not every person out there that's speaking, we need to give voice to. We need to give voice into, I'm going to take that into consideration, and I might follow it or I might not. We don't need to give ear to every little thing. We need to fear God more than men. If we need the approval of men, then it will lead to disobedience of God. And I'm just here to tell you that that is a temptation that's out there. That's a temptation that's out there to, to want the approval of men in our day. And to want people to, to, to like us, to, to like what we're doing. And when we're standing firm in the word of God, approval of men cannot be the ultimate goal. We need to be following and, and staying in obedience to God. Let's continue on. 
in verse 5 says this. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it. Oh, that gives it value right there. Geshem also says it. (laughs) That you and the Jews intend to rebel. That it is why you are building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Old Sanballat is persistent, right? He tried four times to get Nehemiah to come meet with them outside the city. Four times, Nehemiah continued his work, continued to do the things that God's commanded him to do. So the fifth time, Sanballat changes his tactics up. This obviously wasn't working. He needed to do something else. So he sends an open letter. Now, an open letter would have been just that. It would have been an open letter, meaning that it wasn't just to Nehemiah. It would have been to anybody. It would have been read in the city. It would have been uh, open in there for people to hear. It would have been shared throughout the city. The, the people who Nehemiah was leading and trying to take up this task of building the wall, they would have heard this letter. They would have either heard it read or they would have heard it shared by someone else. So what would they have heard? Well, they would have heard slander and lies. Sam Ballant decides his next tactic is to just spread rumors about Nehemiah, things that are not true. Things that he knows aren't true, but if he can frighten them, if he can intimidate them, and if he can bully them into being scared because of something that could happen because of these rumors, then, then the work might stop. Then this, this could actually finish the task that he's been trying to do. He could actually get the work to stop because he could intimidate them into being scared for their lives. We saw back in Ezra 4 that the work did have to stop because the Persian decreed it because of the way things were, were moving, and there was, there was a fear over them trying to gain power. So the Persians did decree that the work stopped. So there's a, a little more, there's morsels of, of, of good thoughts, of things that they could say here. Nehemiah was a person who would have been longing for the future Messiah. He would have been longing for the Messiah that had been promised throughout all of the generations before him. He did not, however, think that he was that Messiah. He did not think that he was going to be king, but he would have been hopeful and he would have celebrated the Messiah that would have come through the line of David. Rumors and falsehoods happen in the life of a believer. I'm not going to ask, but if I had to guess, I would say most of us in here have had something lied about, shared about you. Something about you has been shared that was, was false. Rumors started, lies, direct slander. Sometimes it's accidental, right? Sometimes someone hears something and they, they misheard it. And instead of going back to the source like you should do, instead of going back to the person and, and consoling with them, they just spread gossip and lies and it was accidental. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes it's meant to hurt. Sometimes it's meant to actually stop the things that you're doing. And that's what we see here. We see Sambal and Tobiah, that they go after Nehemiah and they start these rumors. They start these lies. 
When we follow the Bible and make the Bible our standard of truth, it will clash with the world. It clashed in Nehemiah's time, and it's going to clash in our time. And it's going to clash all throughout the time that we're on this earth. The, the Bible does, does, it just will always clash because the Bible is truth. And it's going to oppose people because it says here in this Bible that you, me, are not the center of this world. God is. But we are to praise God. We are to praise Christ as he is our Savior. That's offensive. And so the, the, the people of the world are never going to be on board with the Bible. Never, all, not all of it, maybe parts of it, but not all of it. And when you stand firm on, on God's teachings, when you look at the scripture and say, okay, God has created gender. God has created male and female. He's created marriage to be a male and a female. I believe that God has given roles for men and women. I believe that God has created the earth. I believe that there is a God who has created all things and who is almighty and who is in charge and who is all-powerful and is everywhere right now. When you believe things like that, people are going to say, that's weird, that's wrong, you can't believe that. And so to get you to stop believing it, I'm going to say things about you that aren't true in order to get you to stop believing that. So when we, when we stand firm on God's teaching, just for example, on, on marriage and gender, we get told back, well, you're not loving. You're standing firm on God's word, and therefore the world is saying, you don't love me. You don't love, you don't love me for me. When the reality is we do love them. We, we do love them, and it's love to be able to say, this is truth. I want you to know truth. I want you to know Christ. I want you to know that, that you are a sinner and I'm a sinner and we all need Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins. We want people to know that salvation is available to them. It would not be loving if we said, you know, I got this, I got God's word back here. And I, I know what's going to happen in the future. I know what's going to happen to you if you don't repent of your sins. I'm just going to tuck this back here in my back pocket, and I'm not going to say anything. That's not loving. If one of my, if one of my kids was running towards the road, and, and they were going to run from a semi, you know, it would be loving for me to actively get involved with that process. I don't want my child to get hit by a semi. It would be unloving to watch and not do anything as they ran towards a disaster. We want to love people. We want to love them well. We want to love them right. We want to stand firm on the things that God has commanded us in his word. There's so many things throughout all of scripture that we want to stand firm on. And as I was thinking through this week, I thought so many times, and, and I was going to use Jared's example, but I'm not going to, but I just did. So, but there are, <laughs> there are different personalities, right? <laughs> we all have different personalities. And I've heard this before. That's why I feel like I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. But some people are a little bit more on the non-confrontational side. That they, they, will, they will speak what comes to their mind. And I'm talking in a non-sinful way. But we all have to be careful. But there's non-confrontational people. And then there's people who don't like confrontation. There's personality traits. Right? We, God has, has, has blessed us and given us these different traits. And we're to use those traits for God's glory. But personality types and personality traits have nothing to do with standing firm on the Word of God. When it comes to standing firm on what God has taught us, personalities don't, don't play into that. We can't say, because I'm on the non-confrontational side, we can't say, well, I'm, I'm just naturally a non-confrontational person, therefore I'm just, I'm not going to get involved in that. I, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay quiet because, because I, I, don't want, I don't want people to think, think badly of me. When it, comes to, when it comes to standing firm on the word of God, it, it trumps all personality types. It trumps whatever uh, feelings we have or whatever thoughts that go through our head. Proclaiming Christ and proclaiming Christ crucified is of utmost importance. And we want to continue to stand on that, uh, on that foundation. So how does Nehemiah handle these attacks? Well, he sets the record straight, right? He, he clearly says, these are lies. You've made these up. These are, this is not true. So he sets the record straight. He claims that, that he tells them these, these claims aren't true. And then he prays, right? He prays. He asks God for, to give him strength. I have a lot to learn from Nehemiah in this instance. When people are spreading lies about me, or, and as, as we all are in those situations, you know, we, have, we should set the record straight. If someone's saying things about you that are blatantly false and lies, you can say, hey, that's not true. This is what I said. This is what I meant. And, ask, and then talk to the Lord. Ask him to give you strength. Nehemiah was asking for strength, I, I, I have to assume, to get back to work. He didn't want to let this rumors and this lies detract from the work that he was doing. So, so, so state the truth. State what is actually happening. State, state the reality of the situation. This is what I was saying. Lord, give me strength. Let me get back to work. Let me get back to the task that you have given me. Lord, I'm thankful for the work that you have given me. Let me get back to it. That's how Nehemiah handles these attacks. And I think we, have, uh, I think we can learn from, from how Nehemiah handles that. Intimidation can be powerful and it can be hard to withstand. But if we fear God more than men, we can trust him and we can place the situation in his hands. Nehemiah didn't think about and just kind of think, okay, now, who heard this? This is, this is, how, my, this is how I would have handled this, right? Who, who heard that lie? Well, I need, to now, I need to now go to every single person who heard this lie. Hey, did you hear that? That wasn't true. Did you hear it? That wasn't true. Did you? Oh, you didn't hear it. You heard it? That wasn't true. That's what I would have wanted to do. I wanted to set the record so straight that, that I would have done that. Well, if Nehemiah would have done that, would he have, would he have been working in the task that God has given him? It would have brought him away from the task. He trusted God. He trusted God in his strength, and he trusted that God was going to take care of the, the problem. He trusted that God knew more about the issue and was going to, to handle the situation in a better way than Nehemiah could. There's a lot that I can learn from that. Let's continue on in verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Metabal, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember, Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Threats just keep on coming. Sanballat is relentless in his attack on Nehemiah. This time, he kind of pulls back. 
and he uses, he uses some money. So Nehemiah gets a call from Shemaiah. Shemaiah, who is claiming to be a prophet, prophet of God, but he's confined to his home. I find that a very interesting statement because in chapter 3, we listed all the people that were working on the wall. On the wall. And meanwhile, Shemaiah is confined to his home. Just find that interesting. Just going to say that. He may have been home because he was trying to really play up this threat on Nehemiah's life. So I, I stay home too. So it, it's not safe. It's not safe out there. We need to stay home. But Nehemiah goes and visits him in his home. Shemaiah tells him that his life is in danger. That they are coming to kill him at night. So the only way to not get killed is to take refuge in the temple. We're going to close the doors behind you. We're going to Take refuge in the temple. It's safe. It's secure. You will be safe. You'll be able to continue to be God's man. You'll be able to continue to be a leader. Now, Nehemiah has to think about this. This, this, this has got to be somewhat of a serious claim, right? Number one, he's threatening to kill him. Someone's threatening to kill you. That's a serious claim. But it's also coming from a prophet. Prophets don't lie. Prophets speak the word of God. So what does Nehemiah do? See again, Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah doesn't ever just like seem to just answer real quick without thinking things through. He seems to be a thoughtful man. He uses he uses discernment. He uses the wisdom that God's given him, and he knows the scriptures. When we when we think through decisions in our life, we need to know the scriptures. We need to continually be in the Word of God to know what the Word of God says. Because when someone says something to us and says, "Well, God, the Bible says this," the God says this. We need to see if what they're saying is real. What, is it true? Is it, is it actually in, in the scriptures? Well, Nehemiah thinks about this. He uses his discernment again. And he's perplexed by this. So he says, should a man such as I run away? So there's, there's a threat on his life. Nehemiah is thinking about this. And sh- should I run away? Is that what a leader does? Is that what a, what a bold, courageous leader who's, who's led the people through all threats of violence against the wall at this stage in the game, is that what a leader does, is to, to run away? That doesn't, it's not sitting right with Nehemiah's ears and the way he's thinking. Then he's thinking through the task that he's given him or how to, how to, uh, how to get away from, from this, uh, this death. He says to come into the temple. Well, Nehemiah knows the word of God. See, only, only priests were allowed the temple and only at certain times. So for Nehemiah to take refuge in the temple would have been a sin. He would have been breaking God's law. Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah was not going to fall into this trap. So he, he knows now, okay, this guy that's claiming to be a prophet, he's claiming to speak for God, but he does not. He is a fraud. He is not a prophet from God. He is not sent here. From, this is not a warning from God to help me survive. This is, a, this is fraudulent. Furthermore, he knows uh, somehow that he was purchased. He was just a, he was just a paid mouthpiece that uh, Sanballat has, had worked in and has said, hey, I'll give you this money if you'll try to, to twist this. So Nehemiah uses his discernment, and he knows that running away would not, be the right, the right, would not be the right answer. He knows that going into the temple when he's, he's not supposed to be there would be wrong. It would be against God's law. So he's able to discern that this is a false prophet and that he should not and, and will not listen to the things that this man is saying. 
Their plan was to, to discredit Nehemiah. Their plan was to say, okay, we're going to trap him. We're going to put him in a... He's going to fear for his life. He's going to see a way that, that he has to survive. But we're going to trap him, and he's going to fall into sin. He's going to fall into sin, and then we're going to blast it to everybody. Look at your leader, Nehemiah. He doesn't care about God's word. Look at that. He's in the temple, and he's not supposed to. They think they've got him. They think they can trap him into sinning and then therefore not be a leader that should, that should lead God's people. Well, it doesn't happen. So Nehemiah sees the threat. He sees where it's coming. It's interesting how these threats come and go. You know, it was real sly threats of, hey, why don't you come out to this meeting outside of the town where no one can see what's happening? Then it was, well, we're going to spread some rumors and lies, but, you know, you don't know who did that either. Now it's coming from within the walls. It's coming from, from, it's coming from a so-called prophet. I think there's something for us to get from here. We think about, we think about our, our lives and we think about who we can trust. We, again, thinking back to who we're giving our ear to. There's a temptation to say, okay, when, it, when something comes from, from this group or that group, but they're, they're from other evangelical sources or they're from uh, other people who are, are from uh, some church, then I can automatically trust them. And I think we can learn from Nehemiah that we need to always be using discernment, continually to, to evaluate the words and the claims that people are saying and say, do they match up with Scripture? The claims that I'm hearing from, from this group, does it match with what God is saying? Because, because you're saying from this claim that the Bible's not enough, but, but the Bible is enough. And I'm going to hold on to that claim. But this group over here is saying that we should, we, should not be, we should not be preaching the gospel all the time, but we should just be loving our neighbors, and, and the love is all that matters. But, but the Bible says that people perish without, without repenting of the sins are going to go to hell. That's love is to tell them the truth of the gospel, that they need Jesus. So we have to be careful that even... Even if sources come into our ears and people try to speak into our lives, but if they have the, the tag of, of, of Christian, they have the tag of this church or this organization, we still need to evaluate the things that they're saying. We still need to, to we don't just blindly trust what people are saying. We want, to, we want to listen and say, does it match up with God's word? So, so Nehemiah does not follow Shemaiah into the temple he sees this, and again, he goes to the Lord in prayer. This time, he prays very differently. He prays that the Lord will remember his enemies. This is a, this is a prayer for justice. This is a prayer that, that, that God's will be done in, in the form of justice. That these people have sinned against Nehemiah. These people have sinned against God. Nehemiah's prayer is that, is that, that God will take care of it, that vengeance will be the Lord's. Nehemiah, he's not concerned with, with taking justice himself. He's not concerned that he needs to enact this justice. He's concerned that God will, will enact this justice. Because God is just. And God is perfect justice. When, when justice is defined according to biblical terms, it is defined as how God defines it. So Nehemiah is not asking for uh, any justice that he can contrive out of his mind. He's not... He's not thinking about justice that's defined by any worldly ways, he's only picturing God's justice in this as he thinks about 
uh, God fulfilling that. Let's continue on in verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly on their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Amen. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent me many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Mushalem, and the son of Berechiah as his wife. As they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So the wall's finished, and there's a massive celebration. Does your, my, my text doesn't say that. Isn't that, there's just, I find that, you know, it's like we have been talking about, you know, Nehemiah is the book of rebuilding the wall, and you get to it, we're already in, we're in chapter 6, and the wall's finished. And that's literally what it says. The wall was finished. No massive celebration, no feast day is proclaimed that they're going to observe because the wall is finished. And then there's a couple uh, thoughts about that. You know, you know I, I love sports. One of the things that I used to coach sports and used to admire certain athletes, I always admired the athlete that was just excellent at what he did. So excellent that when he did things that were just out of this world, only this, this, a couple athletes could do, they act like it was no big deal. I love that in an athlete. I always try to teach my, my students when I was a coach that like, you want to act like winners. Like When you win the game, act like you've done it before. Uh, I coached Elvarado, so they hadn't won before. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they didn't win that year either, but you know. But you know, when you're, when you're that athlete that can do amazing things, it's a, it's a simple task for you. This wall being built is an astounding accomplishment in our, in our view, in the, in the ways of the world, but it was nothing to God. It was nothing for the God who saw it from start to finish, before it even started to where it finished. It was nothing to our, to our God. Also, have you noticed that we're in chapter 6? The wall's finished. And we're not at the end of the book. So the wall is not the ending. The wall is, is there to protect God's people. Now Nehemiah knows he has to start working on God's people. And that's a bigger task. The task of, of changing hearts and establishing rule and law and seeing the beauty of God's law again. That's a big task. So, so the, the wall is not the end of the story. But it was quite the accomplishment so much so that I love that it mentions that the enemies, the enemies of God, the enemies of the people of Israel, they noticed that this wall was done and that it was done in 52 days. I am not an expert in that, but that sounds, that sounds fast to me. But they worked constantly to finish this wall. They had a task and they obeyed God through that. So the enemies were afraid they weren't afraid because they saw the great skill of the Israelites in their craftsmanship of the wall and the gates. Right? They didn't look at the gate and be like, this gate is so ornate that I am now terrified of these people. This stonework is done so well that I, these people must be geniuses in here. The enemies in the other nations, they saw the work of the wall and they were afraid because they knew 
that God was a part of it. They knew that this work was not done by mere men and women. This work was done by God, the God of all creation. The goal of the work was to point people to God. The goal was to, to, for other people, other nations, their enemies, to see the power of God in their work. When, we, when we're on our task, the task that God has given us, we have, we have one common task, right? If you are a, a brother and sister in Christ in here, if you are a believer, all of us have the task of making disciples. God has given us all that task. Then we all have other tasks that God has given us, right? Whatever, whatever you're in, you have jobs, you have homes, you have children, you have hobbies, you have things that you're doing. We want people to see the power of God in our work. We want to work in a way that they see that they see God. We want to raise our kids in a way that they see the power of God in our work. But it's also interesting that the wall's complete. Now, surely Sanballat's going to stop now, right? Surely the opposition's going to say, "Hey, guys, we're too late. The wall's built." No, there's still opposition. This opposition is still still happening. It's coming from within now. It's coming from the nobles. Now they're, they're passing letters back and forth. They're trying to, to lift up the name of, of Nehemiah's enemies, still trying to stir the pot. So yeah, I think we can be tempted to think that, that as, as we're Christians and we're going throughout this life, that, that there's going to be a point where persecution is going to stop, where opposition to, to what we're doing is going to stop. So if you're, if you're a parent in here, I know there's a lot of parents in here, and, and you, you have kids and you're, and you're working hard as, as a husband and wife, mother and father, you're working hard to train them up in the ways of the Lord. You're doing, you're doing your Bible time at home, you're reading, you're praying, you're doing all these things. And what if God saves them? God saves the heart of your child. There's a, temp, there's a temptation there to just stop. To believe that your work is done. That, okay, God's, my, my kids are Christians. Praise God in what he's done. Now I can go relax. Now I can go on vacation. Now I can, I can stop. But we continue the work. We continue to train up our kids. We continue to make disciples. And whatever task that God has put you in, whatever, whatever role he has you in, you continue that work. There's, there's going to be opposition. You're going to face it. You're going to stand firm in the word of God. You're going to trust in what, the God, what God is doing in your, in your life. And you're going to continue to work. And you're going to fight against that opposition. And you're going to stay true to where, what God has called you to do. It's, it's going to, you're going to have seasons where it's hard. You're going to have seasons where it doesn't, doesn't seem as bad. We're going to have each other to fall back on and to lean on the body of Christ together. One thing for sure is we can see that that this opposition didn't stop for Nehemiah and it's not going to stop for us. But we can see that God was faithful in the work. That God saw the work. He blessed the work. And there's, we can see that in our own lives. As we trust in God, he's continuing to work in our lives. He's continuing to work in the, in the roles that we, he would have us in. Now as we, as we see this, this story in Nehemiah, as we see uh, all the things that God has done, and we see that, that our, our work is never done. We're always going to face opposition, opposition. This leads us to Christ. Christ came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. 
He never sinned, not once, never did anything wrong. But he faced opposition in his ministry. He faced opposition in his life. So if there was, if you could be perfect in, your, in who you were as a Christian, if you could be perfect, we see that Jesus still faced opposition. We're always going to have that opposition. Jesus was opposed by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We see at the beginning of his ministry that Satan tempted him. One of the temptations that, that Jesus faced from Satan was to worship Satan and that Satan would give him authority on this earth. This would have been away from Jesus' mission that the Father gave him. He was tempted from Satan to give that up, to go away from God's mission, just like Nehemiah was tempted to go away from God's mission. And Jesus said, no, you have no authority, Satan. I'm going to trust my Father. We see that as Jesus' ministry continued and he continued to heal, he continued to do miracles, he continued to teach about the kingdom of God, that he was opposed by the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the religious rulers. Many times they put Jesus to the test. Many times they thought they could ask him questions and trap him. They thought they could trap him into saying something that was wrong, saying something that would violate God's law, very similar to how they tried to trap Nehemiah into doing something that was sinful. They thought they could trap Jesus and ask him questions that would be wrong, and then they could discredit him. They could discredit Jesus and say, all this teaching that he's doing is wrong, and you shouldn't follow this guy because he did this. And every time they tried to trap him, Jesus knew. Jesus outsmarted them, and he showed that he was superior and that he had authority in all things. Finally, we see that as Jesus continued his ministry, there were rumors shared about him. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was beaten. He was laughed at. All these things were, were tried to, to, they were all tried to be done to try to stop him. They wanted, they wanted to stop Jesus' work. They wanted to stop the work that Jesus was doing in his ministry. And none of it could stop him. None of it could stop the power of God. Jesus endured all those things and he willingly went to the cross. Nehemiah was dedicated and we can see that he obeyed the Lord to rebuild the wall to protect God's people. Jesus went to the cross to save God's people. Nehemiah wanted the wall and the people there, they wanted the wall so they could, they could have the wall completed and then work on the hearts of God's people. Jesus went to the cross to purify the hearts of God's people. Nehemiah finished the wall. Jesus went to the cross and said, it is finished. All the things we talked about today, all the things we're, we're, we're talking about as, as, that we do as Christians, that we do as sons and daughters of our Lord, we do because of what Christ has done for us. We think about fear of man. The fear of man can be such a strong enticement for people. As Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected from the grave, he defeated death. He defeated the fear of man that is out there. So we don't have to give in to that. We can trust in what Christ has done for us. We can trust that that work is finished. It is completed. And that we don't, we don't strive to save ourselves because Christ has done that for us. We can trust God and we can obey him. We have the ability to obey Christ because of what he did on the cross and that he was raised from the grave. If you know Jesus today, and I think most in this room, most of this room probably do, if you, if you know Jesus today, we need to trust in the work that Christ has done for us. We need to trust in his work. He's giving you a task. He's giving you a great role to play on this earth. A, 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 one that may not be valued by the world, but don't let the world give you any definition of what is actually valuable. 
Trust in Christ. Trust that God has given you a task that is worthy to do because it is for His glory. Live your life to the glory of God. Thank Him that He's given you this task, that He's given you this work, He's given you this life that you can live. Trust God in all things and obey Him. Do all things for His glory. If you don't know Jesus today, maybe you're in here today and it sounds strange to you. Why would we, why would we put our faith in this guy? Why would, why would we do any of this stuff? If you don't know Jesus today, then, then I, I want you to know that, the, that at right now you are an enemy of God. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. Everyone in this room at one time was an enemy of God. And Christ went to the cross for his enemies. He went and he paid the price that we all deserve. He took our sin on that cross and he covered all of our sin. So if, if you want to move from being an enemy of God to a son and daughter of God, today can be that day. You can repent of your sins and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the example we see in Nehemiah. Lord, we see your faithfulness. We see your goodness. We see that you provide for us, that you care about the work that we do. You care about obedience. Lord, we thank you that that you sent Jesus to the cross to be our Savior, that he covered the sins that we've committed. He took the death that we deserve. He took the punishment that we should spend eternity paying. But Lord, we're thankful that he was raised from the grave, that he defeated death. Lord, I pray right now, if anyone is struggling with these these topics or this message, I pray that you will uh, speak to their heart. Lord, I pray that you will bring repentance, you will bring conviction. Lord, I pray that uh, you will encourage those that need encouragement today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.